Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hello, everybody. Bridget McGowan here, and welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. I have with me Dia Barry Mitchell. Dia, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. This is uh, pretty exciting. It is pretty exciting. Now, I have to ask you, is it okay if I slip and call you Dee Dee ever so often? That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Okay. We, we go back, so that's allowed. We do go back. So listeners, Dee Dee and I were college roommates. We won't tell you what years. We were college roommates on the campus of Prairie View A&M University. And oh my goodness, that was... <laughs> Yeah, that was that was quite <laughs> quite the experience in seems like all a kinds of ways. Yeah. A lifetime ago, a lifetime ago, that it really feels like that. But I still feel young at heart. Now, I do too. I, know, I mean, people talk about how you start feeling old. I don't feel it yet. I don't feel it yet. Not, oh, wait a minute. Not that we're old. That's why we don't. <laughs> feel. There you go. There you go. So. <laughs> At Prairie View, I was a communication major. You went on and you got your degree in what? I actually, so I started out, a, I think I was pre-med at PV. You were. And then I realized very quickly uh, the classes were super early. And I would, Bridget can confirm, this is quite embarrassing, but you guys heard it here first. I would get up early in the morning just to pick out my clothes and because that was super important to me. And then I would stroll along the campus and, you know, I just didn't take it seriously. But oddly enough, when I went back to school, I graduated, I got my undergraduate degree and my master's from Southern Methodist University up here in Dallas. And uh, I got my undergraduate degree in, are you ready for this? Um, I think I'm ready. I don't know. Anatomy and physiology. What? I don't, I want <laughs> I ended up getting my undergraduate degree in that because I thought, you know, I moved back home to the Dallas DFW area, Metroplex, and I thought this is the perfect place, which it is, I stand by this, the perfect place if you want to work for a major um, a sporting group. Um, and so, you know, we have the Rangers, the Cowboys, the Star, a, a lot to select from. And so at the time I wanted to work for the Rangers. And so I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do for the Rangers, whether it's a, it was a sports doctor or if I wanted to work on the administrative side and, and become like VP of marketing. Um, so I minored in sports marketing, but my major was anatomy and physiology. This is wild. I did not <laughs> know this, but now that I think yeah. about it, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then when I finished, when I got my undergraduate degree after that, shortly after that, I thought, you know what? I don't think that's what I wanna do either. So I ended up getting my master's degree in creative writing. And I thought, I might do something with this someday. I don't really know. Let me just have it just in case. So I did it and it's come, you know, it's come full circle. It's very helpful now, but I, 
I did it because I enjoyed it. It was my passion, but I didn't necessarily feel like I would probably ever really use it because who makes a living being a writer, right? That's what I thought. Yeah. So, yeah. That that is that's wild. I'm going to come back to the writing piece because that all okay. factors into what you're doing now, of course, mm-hmm. as well as the speaking that you do. But I want to go back to something you probably don't want to go back to it, but I'm taking, I'm taking you there. Okay. You, you, you talked about how you were very intentional about picking out your outfits for the day yes. when, we were, when we were college students. And, <laughs> and I'm telling you, everybody, I would look out my dorm window <laughs> and see Dee Dee strolling across campus. And she looked like the most confident, most assertive, most put together student in the entire state. And yeah. it was because she was very particular about and very intentional about pulling together her look. Now, That's as true. a speaker, mm-hmm. how does that factor into oh, getting on a stage now? Going with this. That's a very good question. Be- because I'm telling you, Didi, it was it was your clothes and then also your walk and how you carried yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm t- you all have no idea. And I hate we didn't have, or cell phones weren't like a huge thing back then because I would have all kinds of pictures of you. <laughs> you, I mean, honey, honey, head in the air, shoulders back. And with every step you took, it said, you can't tell me. I I, it all it was all a lie. It was all a lie. No, it I was not confident back then, but I knew that, if I looked good, I, I caught that very early on. If I looked good, I would feel good and I would project uh-huh. like I did apparently, but no, I was not confident. But do you- but I, looked, I looked good doing right. it. And so do you do, like, do you, does that factor into your speaking yeah. now where you're like, you know what? I mean, one of the first parts to getting on the stage is like looking good mm-hmm. and feeling good. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, things have shifted quite a bit since, uh, the pandemic and things like that. So a lot of my speaking engagements could be potentially virtual. Um, mm-hmm. But even still, I still go through the whole um, the whole mechanics of getting dressed, like fully dressed with my shoes on, because I don't, you know how some people, the running joke during COVID was that, oh, you just put on like anything at the bottom and they just see it at the top. I don't know who that was. I was channeling. But I never, I never you, felt you, like that. Hey, hey, Didi, you were channeling me because I sure did. I, you. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't do it. Now, I didn't have a lot of things going on early during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. I think now that I'm thinking about it, I think maybe because I was unemployed, because I was like stuck at home, I think maybe I just wanted an excuse to dress up when I could. And yeah. so absolutely, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that absolutely is what drove me to it. But even yeah. today, when I do speaking engagements in person, those are my absolute favorite because I'm sure you can attest to this. I get like the certain energy from the crowd um, and I have like a little bit of butterflies and nerves, but I just used, uh, I'm able to channel that thanks to my good friend, Bridget, who was able to give me some tips. And uh, I love it. I love speaking in person so that I can feel all those, uh, the good energy and get like an instant um what would you call it like instant gratification because i can see their faces i don't have to like zoom into a little tiny window to see what they're looking at looking like rather but 
Yeah, so I, I definitely pay still to this day, very close attention to my wardrobe. I'm super intentional about what I want to wear. Like if I'm on stage, do I want to wear a dress or pants or yeah, I enjoy, I get a kick out of it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> still, what was that? I said still and I, I chuckled. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will never forget that. That was that was funny. That's Everybody, so funny. Dia Barry Mitchell is the founder and CEO of Nostalgia Black Group, a multimedia company with the core business of preserving Black cultural history through writing, public speaking, tourism, and technology. Hailing from Sherman, Texas, and like many Southern natives, Dia was raised in a family of traditionalists, eating sumptuous soul food classics here, here. <laughs> After moving to Houston, Texas and gaining influences from various cultures, including her Japanese ancestry, she began incorporating those cooking styles into her recipes, mm -hmm, but didn't cook a thing in college. <laughs> not, even, not even a pack of ramen noodles. You knew I was going to squeeze that in. I, was, I cooked noodles. I'm sorry that you weren't able to taste any, but I was a very good noodle cooker. <laughs> you were just yeah. too busy at mcdonald's getting free food well i had to oh, fend wait. for myself oh, no 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 did i tell you the story of having to go to mcdonald's for our other roommate oh no. i'll tell you about that no i do time. remember that i do remember yeah, that and that was scary but that is yeah hilarious and i'm definitely gonna circle back around to that after this call because i need a good laugh don't take me back. <laughs> Dia is also a freelance writer and has a column published in the Dallas Morning in the Dallas Morning News, in which she writes about Black historical foodways. She contributes Black history articles to Visit Fort Worth and many more outlets. Dia also serves on the Fort Worth Black Travel and Tourism Advisory Committee. She is currently pursuing her PhD in history, and she is a graduate of Southern Methodist University, as you heard earlier. Dia is passionate about history, traveling, and immersing herself into other cultures. And I'm going to add on, she's passionate about speaking from the stage. That's, yes. That's right. Super passionate. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, Didi, what do you love to speak on what is your core message or core what are your core topics yeah so typically with nostalgia black although my focus is black culture um thanks to my you know enrolling in the phd program i feel confident and i'm able to speak on a number of different subjects not just black history not just black food history um otherwise known as soul food but i also love to speak about southern food history uh, by and large as a uh a uh, Southerner myself, obviously. And then also I love to speak about history, whether it's women's history, black history, local history, uh, Texas history. Um, that's, that's my thing. I really enjoy it. And when you think about a favorite moment from speaking, whether mm -hmm. you were, I don't know, leading a panel discussion, if you are leading a big presentation like do you have a favorite moment during a speaking engagement that's just never left you where it just either gave you chills or there were ahas and you can share that with us yeah so i think one of the when i mentioned black culture and black history one of the topics that just fills me with uh good vibes and good energy is when i talk to people about juneteenth 
it's so, you know, it's uh, it's not new for us if you're born and raised in Texas and you were uh, consider yourself Black American. But um, for a lot of people, this is all completely new to them. So I love that I'm able to kind of carve out my niche and speaking to them about uh, facts and the truth about Juneteenth and kind of um, separating the two because there are a lot of myths out there. And so with my speaking engagement, I love to be able to debunk a lot of those myths. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's a myth? What's or what's so, one of like the biggest ones? Oh gosh, there are a few, but I'd probably say one of the biggest that people are blown away by is that um, Juneteenth or the celebration of Juneteenth, uh, June 19th, 1865, it did not mean the end of slavery for all of America or all of uh, the enslaved, which were African-Americans. Um, and I think a lot of people feel like there's that old adage about, you know, we are not free until we're all free. And that's why we all celebrate Juneteenth on that date. But uh, there were other people that were still enslaved in other states afterwards. And um, yeah, the, um, uh, yeah, that's just something that a lot of people, I, don't think are aware of. And so they, they feel as though they've been fed this misinformation about why they're celebrating when in fact, it didn't mean the end of enslavement for all black people. Um, and then and on top of that, to go, in, to go even further, is probably uh, kind of goes hand in hand with that, I should say, is that there were other states that had their own celebratory uh, emancipation dates. And so I like to break those apart and talk about a few of them. Um, yeah, so that people, if they wanna do some research and go digging and find out when in fact their state celebrated the emancipation of that particular state, they can do that. What I really like about this is how you use myth busting, if you will, as a part of the exciting element to your presentations. And I'm going to invite listeners to think about if you're searching for what topic you can speak on or what you can get on a stage and deliver, think about what are some misconceptions or some myths about your industry or about your passion or about whatever it is, is the center of your wheelhouse. What are some things you can clear up for people? And I, I mean, you have a great starting point for, yeah. for speaking, I think, when you do some myth busting. I mean, I know that's kind of how I feel about presentations where yeah. so many people think presentations have to be done a certain way all the time. I was just down in Florida last week meeting with a lot of people in sales and marketing and a variety of industries, if you will, in the higher ed sector. And we talked about break the pattern of what their brains expect. Most people mm -hmm. expect a presentation to start off by you announcing your name or some bio or some intro. And I say, no, don't do that. Do something different. Yeah. So- yeah, do something different. So I think for me, um, people see that in my tone and I'm pretty relaxed. And so when I'm on stage, um, I'm not gonna put people to sleep, but at the same time, I'm also not extremely stuffy. And I, I think because I don't come across that way, I'm more relatable to people. Um, and so I think people tend to gravitate towards that. I, because I'm sure you have a, a script and I'm using the word yeah. script loosely yeah. in your head. Like there are certain things, you know, you want certain to make point. sure. Yeah. Exactly. You want yeah. to. I always it. start off telling them where I'm from. 
I, you know, so that they can kind of learn the journey that I took myself on really. And so I come from, you know, how it is, you come from this really small town and then all of a sudden you're on stages where you wouldn't imagine you would be, or you're writing for publications that you never would have imagined. And I wanted people to really see my growth and my journey because I did not start out this way. This is all fairly, I'd say fairly recent for me, the success that I've had in not only public speaking, but with writing and with uh, talking to people and teaching people about history. It's, you have me just thinking about my own, you know, professional journey and I don't share much about where I came from, but Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it just struck me in recent days Mm -hmm. that there are some stages I've been on. If someone had told me, let's say when we were in college, never would have imagined it. No, Like, are you crazy? She's written for the New York times. She doesn't even like she doesn't get up. She touches the window before she goes outside to see what kind of shorts she wants to wear today. You know, none of that stuff was important to me. Do you remember that? Yes. I would like roll over because I wouldn't want to get out of bed. And so I'd put my hand against the glass and I would feel the temperature from the glass. And I'd say, today's going to be a sunny day. I think I'm going to wear my blue sport. (laughs) <laughs> all squirts were on and popping I had a black one with flowers and you couldn't tell me anything when I put that I little remember. thing on yes, yes with my black top <laughs> oh my little black heels that I ended up breaking because I was being silly riding on the hood of somebody's car okay I'm digressing yeah. and fell off the hood fell off oh we're rolling through the parking lot why don't I remember was I gone Maybe I was gone. I think you were gone by okay. then. I think, I think you were... I was gone. And I, I was, was concerned about What was that? I was doing my thing in Houston after that. Yes, yes. You were doing your thing. You had gone on to live your best life while I'm rolling through the parking lot. <laughs> and the only thing I was concerned about was my shoe was broken. I wasn't worried had I broken a bone. I'm worried about my broken shoe, my little broken heel. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and and so sometimes, listeners, it's hard to envision a big stage, a big platform. Mm-hmm. Tia, what what other publications have you written for? I know you were recently doing some research down in Galveston for Texas yeah. Highways piece you're working on. What yeah. other big publications? And I'm telling you all, we did not see this in our sites. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to run down yeah. my list of stuff that I didn't see. I mean, Didi has blown up. So what are some other outlets that you write for where we should look for your work? Yeah, so I actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. I need to update my one pager with my bio. Um, So I actually have a weekly column and I write for the Fort Worth Report. Uh, That's every week you can catch the dish with Dia. Uh, And I write about all things food. Sometimes I review food. Sometimes, um, you know, I leave little recipes and tips and tricks, but Uh, overall, I always write from the historical lens. Um, And that's with the Fort Worth Report, The Dish with Dia. And then outside of that, you mentioned my work in the past with Dallas Morning News, which was the same thing, historical uh, foodways that I had written about. New York Times is another that I was pretty proud about. Um, I didn't write as a, with my full name on it. New York Times is a little bit different than regular newspapers, but I won't bore people with that. But um, I got my name on the byline, so that's all I needed. And then uh, D Magazine, which is a pretty large scale magazine here in the 
uh, North Texas area, um, local profile magazine. So a, a few, quite a few local and regional publications that I'm how super it, excited about. How did it start though? Like, so like you what? Know what? what? <laughs> you will not believe this. So a few years ago, back in 2018, I think it was, I had self-published a book called Cornbread yes. and Collard Greens, all right? And so with the book, I actually, I, I self-published that book because I had a friend of mine who was into photography, but he was trying to transition into uh, food photography. So he knew I had developed this reputation as being a cook, you know, and I graduated, gotten my, I know, stop making this, she's making faces, everybody, because <laughs> I obviously did not cook when we were at Prairie View. Not we a thing. Right. Not, we didn't have not a, you, you, you didn't even pour up anybody a bowl of cereal and I'm just gonna I leave didn't. it alone I really didn't you're right I need to make up for that but uh so my dear friend Sonny he is a photographer and so that's one thing he wanted to get into I had graduated just graduated from SMU with a creative writing degree and he was like hey I had written a thesis um about black food waves soul food and he was like hey why don't um why don't I take some pictures of your food and we can like, you know, I can just, just play around. And I thought, you know, I have this thesis I wrote. I didn't do anything with it. Maybe I can turn it into like a, um, a coffee table book. And so that's what the idea was. And so we did this coffee table book and uh, put that out, like I said, back in 2018, I believe it was. And uh, lo and behold, one of the um, editors from the Dallas Morning News had gotten hold of a, a copy of it, and they had uh, they had written about me before, because I also own a bus tour called Soul of DFW, and so they had written about my book, written about my tour. That they were just her name was Erin. She's always extremely supportive of me, and she was the uh, she was the food editor for the Dallas Morning News. And so one day she reached out to me around, I think it was late 2020, 2020, that's how, that's how recent it was. She reached out to me towards the end of 2020 and she said, hey, I really love your voice and your book was great. Uh, have you ever considered being a writer? And I was like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I don't think I would be good for that. And she said, no, well, you know, think about it. And I think, um, I think you might have something to say and it'd be really great if we could highlight your work every now and again and you could freelance and I thought I thought about it I was like you know what this is a great opportunity why would I say no so I told her yes um I loved it and I kept writing and here we are now three years later and I've learned to uh kind of leverage that into a career that I did not see myself going into um so much so that I was working at a museum last uh last year last february and i was led to quit the museum space i had no backup plan and i quit and i said you know what i'm just going to do my tours and i'm going to write full time and that's how i'm going to take care of myself and then just so happens after that happened where i decided i was going to do my tours full time i was um, admitted into the phd program and so i started that yeah last year in the fall of last year so that none of this I, I saw none of this happening I always dabbled in history and food with my food tours and I started writing eventually I started the tours in 2018 so around the same time 
So I had already gotten into history and culture and food by way of the self-published book, but it's not something that I took probably as serious until I started having to write like for a living. And I yeah. thought, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to write and do this for a living and I quit, I need to be able to enjoy this and make, make the most out of it. Uh, but I love it. Absolutely love writing. And like I said, I never in imagined years thought this could be a way that I could support myself. Um, and I just feel really, really grateful when I wake up in the morning that I'm not in the same environments that I was in before. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're so happy and so passionate about yeah. what you do. I see your pictures on social media and I'm one yeah. of those lame people, everybody. I'm one of those lame people where I'll see something you post on social media and then I'll go text you privately. Like I yes. won't respond. I you won't will. comment publicly. Yes. You always do that. I'm like, I don't know. What, I know what did I, what did I post this time that Bridget is sending me a text about <laughs> or that you're telling me some funny anecdotes. So I love it. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, um, so that is incredible how the writing career got started where it was just kind of one thing led to the next, led to the next, led to the next. And I think a lot of professionals, uh, especially in the creative space, whether it's writing, whether it's speaking um, or almost any entrepreneur or any small business owner, a lot of times that's how things unfold, where yeah. it was a conversation, it was a conference, it was a meeting, it was a blog post or what have you. I want you to think back to one of your first speaking engagements. Um, yeah. So uh, talk to us about one of your first speaking engagements. What was that like? And what would you change if so anything? <laughs> I would probably change everything. Um, no, you wouldn't. I, I bet you would change the outfit because I know that was intentional. <laughs> that was on point, my outfit was. But you know what? When I started speaking, um, I actually didn't know anything. I was kind of thrust into it because people enjoyed my book. And at that time, it was starting to kind of take off this whole subject of soul food. And by the way, I've learned a lot since then. So I'd, I'd really love to go back and do a second edition of my book to clear up some stuff that even I, you know, had gotten wrong. But um, overall, I started talking about the book first. And so when I did that, I think because I was so new, I didn't know what to expect. But if I had to change anything, I would probably go into it more, um, I'd say with a little bit of pointers of what I wanted to speak about. You know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned scripts earlier. Yeah. And so while I don't speak from a script, I always have some notes, some points that I definitely want to hit on. I always have some overall theme of what I want them to take away from it. And I didn't know enough to have been prepared enough for any of that. And so that's something that I'm, I, try to place into each of my engagements now that I didn't do early on. You know, I just worried about getting it over with because I was so, I was terrified. I was kind of thrust out there and I didn't really know what people felt about me. I wasn't confident yet. Um, so I was absolutely terrified, but I don't think people knew it, but I was always like very unsure about myself. Are you sure you want me? You know, what am I gonna, what am I gonna say that other people can't? It was that sort of, um, probably uh, that sort of feeling within myself 
but now that I have grown older and wiser um, and learned, you know, a bit and taught myself a lot and studied and researched and worked hard at my craft, uh, the confidence came. And then you actually were, you actually were pivotal in making me become a better speaker. Do you remember what you, uh, what the what we spoke about? Oh my goodness, that was years ago. I do remember. I do remember one time you were asking me about being really emotional during yes. a presentation, and and was that something to be concerned about? That was one thing yeah. I remember. Tell me. Um, yeah, tell me. So you told me much like, and I still, like I said, I still do this to this day. I use the energy that I feel from yeah. the crowd, not only from the crowd, but from myself. Yeah. Uh, you told me to embrace that. If I was nervous, embrace it because yeah. nerves are, can be a good thing. Yeah. It means that you care. And so yeah. because of that, I always kind of get a little bit excited when I get those little nerves in my stomach. I'm like, okay, it's there. Good. Now let me see how I can channel this into having like a really outstanding presentation. Um, but yeah, I still do that to this day. The and nerves, I owe it to you. The nerves are a real thing. It's totally yeah. normal. It's about getting those butterflies in formation as opposed to just yeah. having them all over the place. All over like, the place. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of channeling that energy and saying that you're going to do a great job. And something else you said that I want to expound on, you were saying how initially when you started out, you thought to yourself, I mean, they could get anybody to speak on this. I mean, yeah, and yeah. my response to that is they could, but they didn't. They got you. They called they you. They so, yeah. you know what I mean? That's that's like truly my attitude. It's like, yeah, yeah duh. They know they could get anyone, but they yeah. specifically picked up the phone or logged into email and reached yeah. out to Dia. And I'm yeah. saying the same and sending the same message to listeners. If somebody emails you or picks up the phone, one of my clients emailed me, I think Saturday morning, he is, he is a riot. Oh my goodness, Bridget, XYZ organization reached out and he even forwarded me the email message from oh, this organization. He's yeah. like, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to tell them. They want me to come speak right back. Sure, I'd be delighted I'll to speak. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So now I don't turn down anything. I just feel incredibly, again, there's that sense of gratefulness that comes with it. Like, wow, they're they sought me out. I get to teach them about whatever today. And so I get, I get super excited, really. Yeah. It's like, yes, yeah. they could reach out to anybody, but they didn't want anybody. They didn't, they didn't want anybody. I'm they offering want, them something yeah. that they won't get from anywhere else. And I'm being me while doing it. So and yeah. that's how to look at it. That's, yeah. that, that's what they want. They want you. Yeah. Okay, you will have the opportunity to ask me a question in a little bit. I don't know why I'm extending that offer to you. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I'm going to go with the on you, though. <laughs> I don't think I ever told you this, but it's because of your cookbook. Everybody, make sure you get a copy of Dia's book. It's Cornbread and Collard Greens. How West African Cuisine and Slavery Influenced Soul Food. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you like to purchase your books. I don't think I ever told you, but for the first time ever in my life, because of you, I ate collard greens. You have a uh, collard green wow. recipe in your book. It's like a 
cream, a creamy color green soup. Yes. And so I'm not even kidding you. That was the first time I'd ever had collard greens ever, ever, ever. And uh, that was probably maybe my third or fourth recipe I had tried in your, in your book. All of them have been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, um, you can actually, so I designed that so that you can eat it either hot or cold, like a gazpacho. So Uh have at it. Yes. Some Uh people really love it cold. Okay, well, I will have to make it again, and Mm -hmm. I'll have to try it cold the next day. Yeah, try it cold and serve it. If you serve it, like, uh, they tell me that they like to serve it in, like, the little glasses, and uh, yeah. Oh, Didi, I'm I'm not trying to get all fancy and... and Oh, I'll... (laughs) No. Or use your your mug, whatever. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what's your question for me? Oh man. Uh, okay. Let's see. Do I want to ask about PV or do I want to? You totally can. I'm totally you know, fine. I don't with that. think I need to anymore ask about PV because you actually shared with me one of your um, kind of thoughts. Your first, the first thing that popped into your head about your experiences, our experiences together. So I guess I would turn the tables and ask you. You know, since I knew you way back when and before you were this international speaker that you are today (laughs) you guys Bridget is always texting me and I have to ask where she is at any given moment because she I'm quite sure has a lot of frequent flyer miles because you go to some pretty amazing places but um, I think I'd like to ask you about if you were ever not so confident you know you weren't always who you are before us today what did you speak about and, or were, were you just always kind of like fake it till you make it? Right. So I've never had a fake it till you make it approach. I have not always been confident and you're not going to believe this, Didi. But when I felt my least confident, every, listeners aren't going to believe this either. When I felt my least confident, was on Tuesdays, can't remember the exact semester, Tuesdays Uh and Thursdays when Uh I had to go to a particular class. I remember the professor's name. I remember the room we met in. It was that first room when you entered Hilliard Hall on the right-hand side. (sighs) And that's- Undergrad or was this- This was undergrad. This was undergrad. I think you had- moved on and I think I was a junior possibly when I took this class strangely enough I had such anxiety no I wasn't a junior I was a freshman I was a freshman because I remember what I wore to that class on Tuesdays and Thursdays I wore BDU's uh, uh, battle dress uniform (laughs) yeah I was in army ROTC and it was speech class I had I, I had such anxiety. I had negative 50 confidence, not zero confidence, but yeah. negative 50 confidence going into that class every Tuesday and Thursday. Wow. Unbelievable. I, I'm not even kidding you. Um, it felt like I could do nothing correct or nothing correctly in that <laughs> class, right? 
Uh, I remember those days. I remember the BDUs. Yeah. <laughs> that was also around the same time. I thought the same thing about you. I thought you were just this super confident, uh, wow, little miniature. Um, used to wear your camouflage all the time. On what you all the time? Just on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Don't, you know, don't make it seem like I was obsessed. <laughs> didn't, have any, didn't have any sense, dude. <laughs> No, we actually traded clothes a lot. Do you remember back then? I do remember. We couldn't do it now because I know you're at least four, four to six sizes smaller than me. I know we oh, couldn't no. do it now. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we need to to make some sort of a sisterhood of the traveling pants. Um, let's yeah. see how that goes. But yeah, I mean, crazy enough. And it was because I just felt like I couldn't get anything right. Like I would try to do something a little different with my yeah. speeches, but I was veering off the the straight and narrow. I wasn't yeah. following the plan as the professor had outlined. And I'm like, but doing speeches that way is like yeah. boring, you know? And yeah. so I just, oh my gosh. I just had straight anxiety. I just knew I was going to screw up everything that I did in that class. And wow yeah yeah so that would certainly be certainly be a moment when I didn't feel confident Uh, I'm sure there were others (laughs) yeah but that stands out and that's pretty ironic speech class yeah that one stands out or when our roommate would put in a food order and (laughs) and then I feel like she would force us to go and like bring it back because you couldn't tell her no she was very intimidated we had what would have happened what do you think she would have probably would have kicked us out and locked the door we had keys what's wrong with us we would have locked the door we could have told the RA I mean we had like this false sense of fear and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna circle this back to presentations we had a false sense of fear like seriously all these years later her so we had we had this you know, crazy narratives in our heads of, I don't know what we thought she was going to do to us if we said no to her, but (laughs) with our presentations, sometimes we'll have this false sense of fear and there's nothing to be afraid of when you think about it, right? Like, was there anything anything to be afraid of back then? You think? Well, you know, no. Okay. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. But we don't know. (laughs) But we, we do know this. There's nothing to fear on the microphone. Nothing to fear. <laughs> so, Didi, you're hilarious. Everybody, listen, make sure you visit Didi's website, diaberrymitchell.com. Just check the show notes. It's all common spelling, diaberrymitchell.com. If you want to request her for a speaking engagement, you want to learn about her food tours in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, check out her writings. She's on all the social media platforms. Uh, Just amazing, amazing work and content that Dia is putting out there. Also check out her, yeah, for sure. Check out her speaker topics. Go get a copy of her book, cornbread and collard greens you will not be disappointed I promise you there's going to be at least four or five recipes in there you will want to <laughs> make right away so that's diaberrymitchell.com check her out get her on your calendar you will not be disappointed Didi yes what is one last tip or strategy or nugget you can give the audience to support them in getting up there and owning the microphone 
uh, I would probably just say, you know, although we joked about it, there's nothing to fear. Like what, really, what is the worst that can happen? I mean, maybe not the worst, but <laughs> a lot of times, a lot of that anxiety that we feel, it's, it's for things that will never happen. Um, yeah. And so just think of it like that. And if it does, guess what? You'll get over it and you'll grow and you'll be stronger. The key, I, I truly believe this with all of my heart, is preparation. It really yeah. is preparation and just constantly getting out there. I cannot tell you how many presentations I've delivered. Hun hundreds, I mean, uh, hundreds, easily I've delivered hundreds of presentations. Nothing has ever happened. No one's ever thrown food at me. No one's <laughs> ever cursed me out. Nobody's ever. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, seriously, I've never had yeah. anything happen um, it's really nothing to be afraid of, but it's really about getting out there and just doing it, embracing those butterflies like you were talking yeah. about earlier. And being prepared, like you said, make sure you're prepared. That that preparation and whether you just jot down bullet notes or uh, bulleted notes or mm -hmm. a couple of topics on a post-it note, I consider that something of a script because you can glance down at it. If all of a sudden you lose your train of thought, it's like, oh my goodness, what was I talking about? You've got your three to five bullets jotted down if you're not using a PowerPoint deck or mm -hmm. if you're not, you know, printing out notes for Microsoft Word, but it's just get out there and do it, right? Yeah, Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Dia Barry Mitchell, it has been so awesome having you on the show and oh my goodness, reminiscing. I thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. For sure. And thank you to the listeners. Until next time, make sure you always own the microphone. <laughs> <laughs>